0: This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders, with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland.
1: All right,
0: what's up, guys? we got the guys from Data Gumbo. We've got William Fox and Gerald Smith. You guys want
1: to quickly introduce yourself? Sure. My name is William Fox. I'm the uh, chief product officer at Data Gumbo and background is the army and the oil field equipment manufacturing space.
2: Awesome. I'm Gerald Smith. I'm the CFO here. In the former life, I was an electrical engineer, went to business school to get on the dark side of finance, and now I'm working with the startup Data Gumbo. Really exciting times. Awesome. We're
0: excited to have you guys here. We've heard like y'all keep getting brought up at like every tech startup event in oil and gas. You know, I saw, who's the CEO again? Uh, Andrew Bruce. Andrew, yeah. So I I talked with Andrew, and actually, we had actually met uh, Gerald as well at the Rice event, but I talked to Andrew, I think think it was a Halliburton event. It was a plug-and-play Halliburton event as well. I think you guys won that, didn't you? We won it. Yeah, Yeah. so
2: Andrew... We, we weren't familiar with the, the process, and we were invited at the last minute, and Andrew just basically said, blockchain or be blockchain, dropped the mic and walked off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, So we were checking the parking lot to make sure that our tires weren't slashed because yeah. there, there were some folks who were asking, wait, how did you all know Plug and Play? And how did you all know about this event? And you know, it was, it was pretty serendipitous, but it was pretty awesome. What I was it mean, that you guys won? Well, I'm so I'm it was not an opportunity to pitch at Halliburton's Life Conference. Oh, okay. And because of that relationship, Plug and Play decided to invest in us as well. So they've been oh, an wow. awesome, awesome relationship for us. Very yeah, good. Nice. shout out
0: to Plug and Play. I guess you guys are probably working with, what, Keon yeah. and Malad and...
2: And Harvey. Yeah. I was out there with those guys <laughs> yeah. in SF last week. Okay. So cool. great, great group. Yeah.
0: Great team of guys. So I'm sure a lot of people are curious, what is Data Gumbo? What do you guys do? Kind of high level. And obviously, we can dive a little bit deeper into... The nuts and bolts?
1: Sure. At a high level, what DataGumbo is, is a blockchain as a service company. We provide IoT data collection, smart contracts, and distributed ledgers to companies that want to automate the execution of their contracts without necessarily having to trust every aspect of everything in the other company's uh, business. And so, By providing that as a service, you don't have to have your own blockchain team. You don't even have to worry about standing up nodes. We can host that for you. And we serve as sort of a neutral third party because we don't sell anything else. We're not also an equipment provider. We're not also a services provider. Uh, We just focus on providing that infrastructure for contract automation. Okay.
0: So are these for bigger projects? Is it a project base or is it just company-based? Is it between all the different vendors or is it like these gigantic offshore
1: Sure. Billion dollar Uh, contracts. You know, what's nice about it is it's very scalable in the sense that. You could have an operator, an offshore operator, say, I want to put my entire spend, my entire AFE for an offshore program on a chain, and I'm going to have my top 50 vendors on there, and I'll have smart contracts in place with all of them. Or it could truly just be, I'm a mom and pop trucking company, and I'm working for uh, one of these equipment vendors, and I want to get paid net seven instead of net 67. And so we'll put a contract in place. So. It really doesn't have to have huge scale to be operable because it's such a lightweight solution that's mm-hmm. living in the yeah, cloud. Yeah, can be scaled up or down.
2: Yeah. yeah. So to build on that point a little bit, the reason why our solution is so lightweight is because we're not using cryptocurrencies or mining to facilitate any of the transactions.
3: Okay, so let's talk about that a little bit because blockchain still in its infancy. A lot of people don't have a full understanding of blockchain technology. So let's talk about that a little bit. You know, the separation from cryptocurrencies, some of the popular popular ones that people know, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, etc. So let's talk about the underlying technology, blockchain, and kind of separate that from cryptocurrencies. Do you guys want to kind of touch base on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you go back to the, the 90s where a lot of the cryptographic research papers are being published about how could you do a authorityless transaction mechanism digital currency and so on fast forward to Bitcoin 0809 coming out, obviously the first widespread use of a blockchain. But you know, we divorced the the cryptocurrency token itself, Bitcoin. The underlying technology is a distributed ledger called the blockchain that supports that. And uh, so you you could say that all cryptocurrencies require a blockchain, but blockchains don't necessarily require cryptocurrencies. And so if you think about why why were the why was the cryptocurrency created originally was a means of exchange and why was mining created it was well we need to have a bunch of people we have no idea who they are but we'll trust to the whole network to do some kind of work spend some kind of effort to approve these transactions and as a result we can sort of trust what's going on and that's a public model you have to incentivize people to you have to find a way to incentivize people to participate in that and take their time their electrons and and burn them so if you flip that on its side and look at a permission model where The incentive to be on the blockchain is that this is how I'm going to get paid. Think of, uh, you know, a few years ago, the operators all sort of went to SAP and then as a group chose to use Ariba and it just became a a cost of doing business that if you want to do sell part of the MSA is, by the way, you're going to be in Ariba. So if you take that by extension, a permission blockchain, listen, we already have an MSA in place, we already have a commercial relationship. And your reason to be on this chain is that this is going to automate the execution of our pre existing financial terms. Mm -hmm. So by doing that, not only do we go to a permission ledger where there's many, many fewer participants, and everyone is known. So you remove a whole bunch of the sort of security issues. You also remove the need for mining, and you also remove the need for tokens. Yeah. And that's, you
3: know, when a lot of people actually just a couple of days ago, I made a post about blockchain uh, being used in land and title sectors and someone came on there talking about tokens and all this. I'm like, no, we're not talking about tokens or cryptocurrencies or mining networks. And I think a lot of people, when they think about decentralized blockchains, you know, they start thinking about permissionless chains and that that's how it's going to be used in oil and gas. And I always I always say, no, that's, that's not how it's going to work on an enterprise level. So really glad that you kind of touched base on that. Now let's, for our listeners, let's kind of dive into that a little bit too, because the way the Bitcoin works is that you have a mining network. You know, everybody's got, actually some of our friends have huge mining operations and, and GPUs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> It's crazy, man. It's crazy.
2: setting wires on fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know,
3: the network has to agree on the transactions for it to get place on the ledger. So how does it work with a permission-based blockchain application? How, how does that differ from a mining operation?
1: Yeah, sure. So I would just preface this by saying this is a way, right? You know, this is the way we're approaching it. It could mm-hmm. be approached. There's other people skinning the cat in different ways. But for us, we have a configurable consensus mechanism. And the default state for us is 100% consensus of the nodes that are currently on that network. So on that chain, whether however that's defined, is it one project, is it a series of projects, is it Gulf of Mexico fiscal year 2019, however whatever that unit is, there has to be 100% consensus. And the thing about that is the question we get asked most is well, how do I make sure that other people don't see my info? And so The way we handle that is that because we started out as a data aggregation company where our goal was to collect data from different silos at these various rigs and facilities and then aggregate that into one standardized model and then control permission, we have that ability to control permission from the data collection all the way through into the smart contract. And as a result, let's say there's 20 vendors, your shell. And you have 20 vendors on a chain for a specific project, but you have a smart contract with one specific vendor, let's say uh, Williams Casing, the only people who can see the data that's going into the blocks that represent individual transactions between you and Williams Casing or you and me, because we have a smart contract in place mm-hmm. and you have a specific key that is issued for that smart contract. And so everyone else will see these transactions coming across their node and they will see the hash and the sequence number and they can uh, concur that the hashes match and that's it. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a scaled back consensus algorithm that just ensures everyone has the exact same copy of what's going on the ledger.
3: Yeah, so they can see the transaction take place. They just can't see any of the proprietary data attached with that transaction. That's exactly right. Great. Yeah, there's a. I'm I'm sure you guys know this. A blockchain forum that happens every month. I think it's held by uh, Equinor and some of the other major operators. And I've talked to this uh, or talked about this subject with them because they have a guy that comes in there that's kind of a uh, a Bitcoin maximalist, and (laughs) you know, he's about a decentralized future, and that's what he comes in there talking about. And like, you know, we just don't think that this is the way that oil and gas is going to go. Everyone's very protective of their data, and you know, it, it kind of goes against, you know, you, you do have the OGs in blockchain and Bitcoin world that don't think that that's the true vision of blockchain, mm-hmm. but they also don't understand, you know, how business works at a big yeah, enterprise you've got level. The, you've got two
0: different categories of people. You've got the purists who think that not only should the protocols be decentralized, but that the companies themselves should be Decentralized And therefore and the the information is public have- as well, yep. which yeah. just
2: doesn't work for oil and gas, right? Yeah. I mean, they have proprietary information about their reserves, which is their secret sauce that keeps them in business, mm-hmm. that differentiates them from their competitors. So they can't give that information up.
1: Yeah. And you, maybe you can address this, Gerald, better than I can. But I mean, I think going in and telling a head of a supply chain for one of these companies, by the way, in order to transact business on our system, you're going to need to go get a wallet. And you're trading
2: in gumbo bucks.
1: Yeah, you're gonna need to go, <laughs> and it's like I already have to hedge euros, kroner, dollars, reals. Now right. I've got to go figure out how am I going to hedge a project in data gumbo bucks. It's like a non-starter, basically. <laughs> right. right. You know, and maybe it'll change in the future, but not right. not right this now. This is
3: no. This is the problem that we I always brought this up in the ICO craze, and especially you know when it started getting towards its peak in 2017. I mean, we had friends raising tens of millions of dollars Mm -hmm. via ICOs, I said, this just will never work in my mind on a corporate level because nobody wants to go and deal with your token. So now they got to, you know, they got to convert from fiat currency to your token, you know, utilize your token on the platform. It just never seemed like a uh, realistic goal to go through fundraising like that. And was that something that you guys looked at in the early days? Yeah. Because, I'll yeah. be honest, we did too yeah, with our company. Told, so. I mean,
2: we did, right? I mean, it was basically you free to, money. It was right? much you money to, it was it was yeah, coming right. in. Yeah. But when we thought about it on a practical level, basically everything that she said is, okay, let's say that we were to raise money via a token, mm-hmm. but that token wasn't used to verify a transaction. Then how could we actually make a, a solid pitch that this token has any utility whatsoever, yeah. right? So there are ways that we've thought about tokenizing Not necessarily the service, but maybe portions of the company, Mm -hmm. which we thought would be pretty interesting. But ultimately, just the the amount of, of brain exercise it took. (laughs) <laughs> to, to get there, we just thought it would be best just to go the traditional VC route to raise capital. For sure. Yeah.
1: And, and I just want to point out, I don't. we are not by any means tokenization haters. Right. Uh, I think there's some really good use cases out there. Look at what Digital Asset is doing with the Australian Stock Exchange. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, we're, we're extremely bullish on digital assets and security tokens. Um, I believe that the value blockchain creates in the secondary market for private securities is going Huge. to be massive in the next five years. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, we went through the uh, the same kind of brain drain, mm-hmm. uh, figuring out how can we <laughs> create a utility for our mm-hmm. company. And, you know, I, I think if you have any uh, level of intelligence, you can start to see like, okay, no, it's there, not a true use case for utility. And that's why all these ICOs got the hammer laid right. down on them. And by the SEC and- is
2: going to start coming down on these folks so hard. And we just don't want those issues. And the fact that we have a tangible product also our blockchain solution exists. It's not a white paper. Yeah. It's not theoretical. Yeah. So the fact that we have something that's tangible, I mean, we we don't want to money up the waters for ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you guys you,
0: build like a proprietary chain? Were you guys using Hyperledger? Or yeah, so Ethereum? we actually,
1: uh, it's interesting. We did do demos on... Uh, Ethereum and uh, Hyperledger originally. And we looked at Corda, but we didn't build a demo. And the issue was that we were getting a lot of use cases that had to do with large volumes of data that they actually wanted on the chain. They wanted to use the chain as the database because what they're looking for, you know, in in complete opposite to the other approaches, what they're looking for is a auditable trail that they can take and get SOC 1, SOC 2 audited and take it to Grant Thornton, take it to EY or whoever, and use this in court if necessary uh, as the basis for why we paid X, Y, or Z transactions. You start to look at what some of those documents are. And sure, there's a few things where it's a field ticket and it's 15 kilobytes of data. Great. And then you get one where, well, the last 20% of the payment for this casing is a 600-page PDF bill of lading. And it's you know,
3: takes up a good amount of data. Right. It's <laughs> it's
1: it's 15 megabytes. Like, yeah. okay, well, I cannot fit that in one of those blocks. And then, so you know, you start to move away from the sort of Ethereum-based ones because for us, if you're gonna if you're gonna store it in a hash location off chain, and everyone's okay with that, then you're really okay with having everything in a centralized database. database right. And.
3: So that we, so, we talk about this all the time. Everybody wants to use the blockchain when you could just look at data. I mean, right. Yeah. So
1: <laughs> if if the use case is actually in on all the in fact, if all the counterparties are willing to store it in one centralized location and trust that they should uh, honestly just use automation that's out there. But if there really is either a trust issue or a flat out I, our systems, like I don't know what you guys previous companies have been like, but I was at a company where we lost the entire engineering drive because somebody was an admin who was an admin, <laughs> deleted it. And when they <laughs> deleted it, it deleted all the mirrored copies. But Or you could think of, wait a minute, my server, our, our location that we're storing this is on Windows 10 now. But two years from now, I missed a security update, and now that I want to go back and audit, and it's not there. Mm-hmm. So we kind of made the decision up front, we are going to store on the chain, and that meant there were no solutions that worked for us at the time. So we we started from scratch, and we built our own Wow, that's really chain.
3: interesting. Yeah, because we talked about this a lot with Wellhub. Mm-hmm. Like, man, the only you know, it didn't make sense with any of the existing chains to store data on them. It wasn't a scalable solution. Mm-hmm. So what goes into creating your own chain? Uh, I'm sure that has to be a bit of a, a headache, huh, to get it all put in place. I'm not sure
2: how much we can tell you. Yeah, it's it's pretty proprietary. But just to, to build on that point a little bit more, there's a, a major, call it blockchain consortium or company, and... I had the same discussion about the fact that you can actually use a blockchain as a storage base, mm-hmm. And because others are using another platform to facilitate their transactions, they're not, they don't have that capability. So they were arguing for pointers off-chain. And that's a that's a real big differentiator for us between a lot of the other parties that are out there. So, I, I look, if you're going to use a blockchain and you want to be able to store all of that information, store it on a scalable block instead of pointers off chain. Mm -hmm. So so kind of going back to one of the last
0: things you said, are your smart contracts immutable or can these be edited? That's one of the biggest things that we see in the comments for people who actually understand this. Some, Some of our great friends who are extremely brilliant you know whenever we were talking about the use cases in LAN was that you know if you make an error in the smart contract you can't go back and edit it and then it just goes through and executes and
1: yeah that's no that's a great question so all of our smart contracts have an expiration date built in and all the counterparties have to sign off on it and so the initiators and the counterparties can stop or replace that with a versioned uh, a new version whenever they want to agree to do that and so it's very much not carved in stone so whether it's hey let's do this version for 90 days and then that smart contract's going to expire or let we get we get into it 32 days into it and everybody realizes oh we screwed up the algorithm okay we need to stop that immediately so you know the nodes continue to persist on their own node per company or per subset of your company the chains continue to, uh, continue to persist and we have multiple smart contracts on any given chain and they are mutually uh, as long as it's mutually agreed editable or you can add additional ones or version it.
0: So to that, how do you handle conflict resolution? Let's just walk through this scenario, right? You got six parties. Somebody screws up the contract. One company is going get, get paid like 10 times as much as they should. Everybody agrees that it should be changed except that one company. Is it general consensus or is it everybody has to agree to it?
1: Yeah. So the way we have it done right now is that all parties have to agree. So it has to be 100% agreement. Okay. So if yeah, there's a three-way exists, yeah. smart contract or, or whatever, all everybody has to agree. And then, of course, that's actually funny. A number of people said, "Well, if it's a mutable record. You know what? How do we make how do we make up for the end of the month? I delivered too much fuel. How do I get my 158 gallons back?" Well, it's just like any other accounting ledger, which is you now log a correction. You know, it's not you can't mm-hmm. go back and change it, but we can certainly go and yeah, do the correction. For it in yeah. The exactly. Yeah. So. But yeah, interesting.
0: I, it, okay.
1: it means that if one party in one of these smart contracts wants to break it, then it's broken. Okay. So, so on the
0: execution side, obviously the whole point is to kind of automatically execute. How does it? You don't have to get too technical, but on the, on like on the accounting side, you said you want to get paid like net seven instead of net, you know, 57 or whatever. Right. Is it
1: automatically
0: just paying out vendors or?
1: Well, there's, there's kind of a sliding scale, uh, on that. And it's really up to the counterparties to determine how they want to do it, you know, and I, and feel free to jump in on me here, Gerald, but we've heard everything from, I am going to escrow an account and I want you. Your smart contract mm. to initiate ACH transfers to, yeah. I want you to, to check all these triggers that they did occur and prepare a pro forma invoice, but then it's going to go straight into my normal approvals queue in SAP. Mm. And so anywhere along that spectrum of maybe you can do the three-way match yeah. and, or it'll well, do sense.
0: I think the escrow thing makes a lot of sense. To be honest with you,
1: I think, you know, there's there's some operators out there today who are already doing that uh, in a non-blockchain space uh, for just B2B, uh, you know, invoicing. So the mind space is moving in that direction because it's uh, as as what was it you're saying, just eliminate the invoices. Right. Exactly. And if we can verify that the physical world backs up that that transaction, it starts to make a lot of sense, especially if you're in a pre-existing MSA relationship where there is redress, if there's some kind of a mistake. Yeah, I there's a that
0: eliminate the invoices. That's well, yeah, well, <laughs> that's no, powerful. This is what <laughs> I've said.
3: There's several startups in the space that their whole intent is to get rid of paper transactions and put it on a digital platform. Mm. And you know, some of those are focusing on invoicing. And I've had this conversation, I said that technology, building out a platform for this and getting it adopted by all these companies, it's already, that idea has already passed us because blockchain is going to replace all of those transactions eventually. So I definitely think, you know, that's a really good use case to just eliminating that process and having everything dictated by smart contracts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other key thing is that, you know, this doesn't mean that you have, we're we're not a mini ERP and it doesn't mean that ERPs go away. It just means that the way that you post transactions through the available interfaces into your existing financial system of record can change, right? Mm So, you know, one of the things we always say is that, what we're doing is like 10% technical and 90% organizational change management. So if a company wants to keep nine approvals for every invoice over $10,000, blockchain is not going to change that. You know, to, to get the full value of, listen, it's a spare part. We have a price list. We know exactly when it was delivered. They met the terms of the thing. Just pay it. If you then feed that into, and six more people have to go and log into Oracle and approve it, then you're not getting any of the benefit, right? So there's yeah. in parallel, you have to adjust the processes to a level where the company is comfortable with their controls and they're mm-hmm. still getting their financial records in place, but taking advantage of the sort of pre-reconciliation that can be done for certain some of these use cases.
2: Got you. And, and I, I look at ERP systems like Excel, and it's almost as if the ERP systems have been built out Beyond their original purpose, much like Excel, I mean, I'm pretty sure when the guys at Microsoft were building Excel, they weren't thinking these macros and these huge, <laughs> you know, thousand-tab machines that just process all of this information. So, what we're trying to do is create a lightweight system that sits on top of these ERP systems that allows us to facilitate a lot of those transactions in a very, you know, streamlined fashion. Got you. That makes it's sense. funny. There's
0: so many synergies between like what we're doing at Wellhub and what you guys are doing. We're just focused on the database side. We're not focusing focused on the blockchain stuff. You guys are focused more on the projects. We're focused internally on operational data. So We talk about Excel yeah. sheets a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a huge part of our pitch. Is just like you, you, if you want to manage billions of dollars on an Excel spreadsheet, go ahead. We sit with
3: the IT teams of some of the, the biggest oil companies in the world and they're still running off of Susie's spreadsheet. And I'm like, Jesus
2: Christ. Wow. We've so, had that exact, <laughs> that exact yeah. same thing. I yeah. mean, <laughs> major oil and gas companies, hundreds of billions of dollars in market cap, and they're still using Excel to figure out who they paid. And that spreadsheet was developed by someone who is no longer with the company. Yep. And it's an
1: Excel 2003. (laughs) You can't update it or else you break everything. Right, exactly.
3: That's just funny. I don't think a lot of people understand that these EMPs or just oil and gas companies in general are running off of systems like that and how antiquated our digital systems are in oil and gas. But, you know, coming to that point, a lot of people want to talk about new technologies like blockchain, machine learning, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but you know, sometimes with blockchain, it seems like everybody's kind of want, wanting to skip a step. Like we have some very, you know, rudimentary problems that we have to fix in oil and gas when it comes to data. So what are you guys kind of seeing as far as sentiment from uh, these oil and gas companies? Or are people kind of wanting to jump into it? Because it seems like we get a lot of inquiries about blockchain. Like everybody's interested in it. And I don't know if it's just kind of like a hype thing or if people are like really, you know, kind of interested in applying it. And I know you guys have had some uh, applications already put out in the field with Diamond Offshore. Kind of, what's, what's the sentiment from the industry overall?
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because there's, you know, there's a place for blockchain distributed ledger type technologies. And there's a place where there's perfectly adequate solutions already. Mm-hmm. And so there was a, one company we were talking to and they said, well, we've got a mandate to do something blockchain-ish. And we have a bucket of money <laughs> and we have a whole bunch of problems. And so they went through, you know, we, we came in there pitching, listen, you can you can automate the execution of your incentive contracts for your between you and your drilling contractors and take this sort of manual interpretation out. So we thought that was a great use case. Said, no, we don't really care about that. Can you guys build us a water truck ticketing system? And the answer is, well, no, we, we won't. There's about 100 companies that do that. And furthermore, you guys already have a company. That does that and you just need to use the you've got a Ferrari sitting up on blocks out here that yeah. will do everything you need for your your B2B ticketing system. That would be fantastic data for us to consume and help automate. But you know, that's not a blockchain problem. That is a straight up solved problem. There's a beautiful iPad out out there for you today. Yeah. And so we there's a lot of things like that where maybe on the back end you could see a use for for a distributed ledger, or maybe not at all. Or the other day we were talking to a pipeline company and they said, well, we had this thing and we thought it was going to be a blockchain issue. And then it turned out we own that entire pipeline and we just need to make two existing databases talk yeah, uh, with the an interface, yeah. and you know, which was solved in like six weeks by two guys, and there's no need for a distributed ledger. We can just put that money back into <laughs> yeah.
0: that. You know, so there's you all that. these distributed databases, and we want to have a
2: distributed ledger on top
3: of that. Jake said last Wait. night, actually, he's like, he's like,
0: all your data is already decentralized. You know, like, <laughs> all you need to do is make it communicate.
3: um it's funny that you said that companies you know, were looking to do something blockchain ish because we actually saw some data yesterday that said uh, over half of co- uh, the companies that attended this blockchain event planned on spending uh, $10 million on blockchain in projects year. in the next year. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck are you going to spend that on? <laughs> you know, that's a lot of. Bring <laughs> it, it our way. We'll yeah, take it. Right. <laughs> if you need to spend $10 million, if you've got that uh, <laughs> allocated in your budget, Data Gumbo, come talk to them. <laughs> So yeah, it's just interesting because you know when we look at other technologies historically, oil and gas is a little uh, slow to the party to adopt new technologies. But for some reason, blockchain, it just seems that people are are, are flocking to it. Yeah, Mm
1: -hmm. caught us off guard. I I, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I mean, I, I, I kind of feel like for for big capital intensive technology, you know, because of the boom and bust cycle, it's either. Hey, we're blowing and going and it's too fast. I don't have time to do something new or Mm -hmm. everything's falling apart. We've just laid off 80% of everybody and I don't have any money to do anything. And so, you know, if you're trying to do the next top driver, you're trying to do, you know, the next class of drill ship, that's uh, this whole category of things. And then if you come at it from a removing friction efficiency and I mean, let's not, I guess we're dancing around it, but saying potentially removing back office headcount. Yeah, it's a, there's always an interest in that as opposed to, you know, some of the, like the newest downhole bit. Yeah. And so I think one of the reasons that we're seeing interest in this now is everybody, I mean, at least I, I'm still in shock from 2014 and 2015. And I think everybody who's left is also still thinking this is going to happen again. We got to get this as lean as possible now. So we don't have to do these terrible layoffs the next time.
2: And a lot of these companies are still running fairly lean, Mm -hmm. right? So if, if the promise of blockchain manifests itself, then it will help those companies continue to maintain those staffs that they currently have after you've gone through, you know, 2014, 2015. Yeah, exactly.
3: You just brought up a good point. You know, whenever I talk about new technology, the majority of people, when I start talking about tech, they automatically default to downhole technology. You know, some new mud motor or drill bit, something something of that nature. Whereas in the past uh, couple of years, we've really seen people start trans uh, kind of Transitioning to digital technology. We were talking to IBM uh, a couple weeks ago about this as well. People are really starting to put their focus and energy into digital technology, softwares, uh, blockchain applications, because they're starting to realize, hey, we have all these inefficiencies in the back office. If we can start using software to you know, kind of move through those problems, then we can run leaner we don't go through the kind of boom and bust cycles for personnel where you're laying off 70% of your, your uh, staff. So I definitely think that that's something that I didn't think about that maybe that they're kind of taking uh, into consideration the, the problem of having to keep, personnel on board and not having to lay them off in the
0: future. So we've talked a little bit about like the, you know, the kind of like the sentiment, obviously there's a lot of interest. Obviously you guys have had some success, you're doing some some implementations with some clients. Obviously, before you get to that point, it's a numbers game and you know there's a lot of swings and misses. Let's talk about some of the objections that you guys have had and, and you've heard, you know, what are some of the operators saying, the ones who are not, you know, you identified that there was a use case but they're not willing to even look at it or implement it or kind of take those discussions further. I'm kind of curious
2: you know, what are some of those objections? And, and let's just talk to you that. Sure. Yeah, one company said, wait, I understand all of the value propositions. I understand that this could save us a ton of money, but you're telling me that we're going to have to change some of our internal systems and processes. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> no, we don't want to do it. So we get that, which only, that, that only came once, but it seems generally everyone, if they're not Talking with data gumbo, they're talking with someone about an implementation Mm -hmm. and about a way that they can figure out how to leverage this technology. So it's, it's been fairly positive so far, I would say.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, if comparing and contrasting 2017 to 2018, 2017 was just a bear, mm-hmm. you know. I can do that with a relational database. Not interested. I don't want your cryptocurrency. We don't have any. Right. I, you know, <laughs> don't care. Your Bitcoin, I hate right. it. And then something like I I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I, I feel like a switch flipped that's, in Christmas 2017 in January everyone started fresh went, Well, I think that's that's right
0: like Bitcoin was, you know, going through the roof at that time or was kind yeah. of coming up and I remember the, the time time hit Yeah. 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 So the Everybody couldn't ignore it anymore, so then right. they went down the rabbit hole of like, well, because your cryptocurrencies board. and
1: blockchain, and it's like, oh. Now it makes sense. Everybody needs a blockchain. <laughs> right. You know, the board, and if the board member is reading in the, in the Wall Street Journal, the FT, and they turn around and go, all right, why aren't we doing something on this? Hey, get the CTO in here. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, now there's a, a willingness to even talk about it. And then, you know, but from other objections, I think, you know, you've got a good one, which is that it, we, so wait a minute, we have to change processes. You know, the other one that I, I, I think we get the most often is, well, this, do we actually need? A distributed ledger to do this. Why can't I solve it with my ERP system? And so, you know, ERP systems pretty much—if there's something you want to do, there's a way you can do it Mm -hmm. with an add-on or with some custom development. And it comes down to the relative cost of solving it with your existing ERP system, trying to bend it into something it wasn't maybe originally designed for. Mm -hmm. The relative cost and time investment to change that system of record versus doing a proof of concept with. Not just us, but any blockchain company. It's one to two orders of magnitude, and it's 18 months instead of 90 days. And so, you know, whenever it's like, hey, I could solve this in my earpieces. Well, yeah, you could. I'll see you in 2021 when it fails.
2: (laughs) Right. And you spent how many millions of dollars to get it off the ground? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Also,
0: you have to think about the ongoing cost. You can't implement SAP or any of the other SAP systems without having a gigantic staff just to maintain it alone.
2: Exactly.
1: That's right. So all the mid-market companies, you know, there's there's companies, uh, there's a guy that works on our team now who, you know, $100 million company running on QuickBooks, right? Because e- even at $100 million revenue, you can't afford to implement SAP, basically. Mm-hmm. That was the the calculus they'd made. And so it, for us, you know, we try to push that, listen, let's move fast fail fast, find out, learn something, go away. And your, your costs are are extremely small compared to any kind of big enterprise software implementation to try to solve the same problems. And the the last thing I'll add to that is it's great when somebody says, I can do this in my ERP, your joint interest partners have their own ERP system. Mm -hmm. So when you're drilling in this field and you own 40% and you're the operating partner and there's three other partners, Mm -hmm. they don't care what your ERP Mm -hmm. system says, because you're Why should I trust you? Yeah, and so the ability to say, "Listen, we're going to collect data, and everyone's going to have a node, and you're going to see the exact same data from the get go, and you're going to agree to the smart contracts from the beginning, and see this stuff as it comes in," is a very powerful message. Of well, maybe we had one operator tell us they think they're going to be able to cut their partner audit costs by fifty percent. Yeah, wow! Just by just by streaming some of the cost data into So, so
0: kind of on on that point, how do you guys make money?
1: So I'll let our CFO answer We, that. Yeah. <laughs> we got the <laughs> we money. We're actually in the charity <laughs> business. Uh,
2: <laughs> no, so it's it's pretty, uh, been a, a pretty exciting ride. So, you know, William is the founder. I wasn't around that that early, but last year they did $60,000 in revenue. And this year we're looking at $1.2 million. Oh, yeah. Nice. It's amazing. Next year we plan to have a pretty decent bump up from there. But... We have a, a three pronged approach and it's really based on customer preferences. It could be two percent of financial transactions that are processed through the platform or a typical SaaS fee or a day rate. Mm-hmm. So we try to, you know, be flexible. Right. Yeah. Different companies are so used what works to for the, the client. That's exactly. Right. Yeah. And you know, so many other competitors that are out there, they try to make a killing with their relationship with that individual customer. But another thing that really differentiates our product is that our our nodes Inherently communicate with one another. Okay. So we don't see a ton of value. We value the relationships that we have with individual customers, but we are trying to grow a network of mm-hmm. ledgers that uses Data Gumbo's platform. Yeah.
3: So going
2: on that point,
3: you know, I think one of the biggest barriers to any digital technology, and, you know, when you start talking about automation as well as standardization mm-hmm. and trying to get everybody on the same page. So is that, is that y'all's? Kind of end goal is to be one of the legacy blockchain fabrics out there and have everybody utilizing your network, your nodes and smart contracts, because I could see that becoming a problem. You know, if uh, this operator is, you know, using this blockchain fabric and then you have two other parties that aren't aren't on that system. We
2: see that problem already exists, whether or not they use data gumbo. Because if you were to do another implementation, that implementation may work for your internal systems, but it won't allow you to easily communicate with someone outside of that platform. Yeah, for sure. So our ledgers inherently communicate with one another. Okay. So a a potential investor, strategic investor, I was talking with him the other day and he rose an interesting point and, and William and I had a chance to catch up on it and we thought it was a good problem to have. He said, well, basically we could be making a monopoly out of you guys as an investor. That could be a good thing, but you also have say in the way that we, you know, continue to grow the platform out. So if there's anything that you see could be a potential concern, then you can put your 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 opinion in on it. But we want to be a utility. We're we're not trying to ratchet up prices and and you know destroy our our customers. We want you turn on the spigot. Water comes out, you turn on the blockchain, spigot, blockchain comes out. Mm-hmm. So that's our
1: angle. Yeah, water bill, not electrical bill right. here in Houston. <laughs> uh, you know, and I think interoperability is, is a, a very important point. And I, we we think, you know, the sort of similar to Corda, R3 Corda, where it's if you're running this version of the, of the software, these nodes should natively be able to talk to you. That's mm-hmm. the right way to go. Spreading the network makes the value of it so much better. You know, being able to just go into your browser and see, OK, who else is running a node right now? Do I I already have a commercial relationship. Can I use one of my templatized smart contracts for spare parts delivery, drag in my parts list, drag in my price list? Okay, we're in business now because we've already stood up. That is a huge, powerful concept yeah. to have. And I think the other thing about interoperability of course we have to be interoperable with Ethereum chains with Hyperledger mm-hmm. uh, everybody's going to have to be interoperable because no no one incumbent is going to win so, several of the operators are building their own systems from scratch which aren't going to talk to anything yeah, I think if you're mm-hmm.
3: te- taking a bet on you know, yeah. one fabric winning that's not a very good strategy no, <laughs> no.
1: but I do think what's going to happen is there's going to be a natural flow in these integrations where if you are coming from one of the more finance low block size high frequency mm-hmm. chains you're going to see an easier flow from that to the more flexible chains mm-hmm. just by virtue of of it's a lot easier to take a lot of data and push it down into bigger blocks versus taking a uh, like let's say a gig of data uh, representing a month of drilling in that and then push it back into the other systems but whenever people say oh this is this huge hurdle it's just code you know, if there's a, if there's a driving commercial reason why somebody goes, I want my Ethereum based chain to talk to my data based chain, we're going to solve it because yeah, someone
3: will figure it out. That's yeah. right.
1: <laughs> you know, and uh, I don't want to make light of it. I'm not d- being dismissive, but yeah. it's a solvable problem. Yeah, so. for
3: sure. One interesting question that I have for you guys, when you decided to create your own blockchain, did you ever have any concerns, you know, before you decided to make your own that, hey, if we build out on, you know, so and so's blockchain they did an ICO, you know, what if they get hammered by the SEC, have to shut down and we built our entire business off of it. Was that ever a concern for you guys or a factor in deciding to develop your own chain?
1: I think the, our main concern was control. Um, mm-hmm. you know, cause obviously you can go and and take a branch off of, uh, you know, Ethereum Lines or something, or, or one of these other ones and take the updates or not. But, uh, just the idea of, of being dependent on in some aspect, on a consortium to push major changes uh, was unattractive. And I think that was. That and the lack of, uh, at the time, configurable block size and configurable frequency of transactions, those were the, the main drivers as opposed to being concerned about one of the other platforms disappearing. Gotcha.
3: It was just something that I always thought about. Like, you know, say if I wanted to build out an application on, you know, Dragon Chain, Dragon I don't mean to throw them under the bus, I like Dragon <laughs> Chain, but just say that, you know, they did a ICO and they ended up getting shut down and you've built this entire business off of that fabric and all of a sudden you're just caught with your pants down because right. they, sh- they shut down and all of a sudden you've got a, a big problem so i just uh, was dragon chain an erc 20 token i believe so yes. yeah i yep. think it was yep yep so that was just something i was always curious about you know if uh, people started building these applications on these yeah. on these blockchains and then the uh the underlying uh blockchain got shut down then <laughs> just kind of
1: well we're we're seeing a gigantic real-time multi-billion-dollar experiment in that right now with uh, EOS. So. Well, yeah. What do you think about EOS? <laughs> I don't. I don't think I. I don't think I know enough yet. Have the, has the first one uh, actually gone live yet? Uh, I don't know. Supposedly they, they uh, they're going to change the constitution, I don't know, Like, <laughs> raise like four
0: billion dollars, and I'm kind of just sitting back waiting to see something happen. I don't so know.
1: Supposedly they're they
0: going
2: to have... change the world. Yeah. Uh, we'll I see. down in Puerto Rico. I'll let you know right <laughs> now, <laughs> I, I'm skeptical
3: of. Uh, I mean, four billion dollars is a lot of capital to raise and to uh, be able to make anything out of $4 billion and get a positive return for investors seems like a hard task. Yeah. But even just well, from, a, you know, when when they originally released their uh, mainnet, they had all kinds of issues too, you know, people finding flaws. So
2: I don't know. It's uh, interesting. Same yeah. thing with Tron, same thing with a lot of those folks out there. Well, we'll, we'll I, I guess it's just TBD on a lot of those folks. Hence the reason why we think if we could just bifurcate the blockchain from cryptos and just deliver value from that perspective, then.
3: Oh, I love it, man. I had no idea that you guys were operating with your own chain. So that's (laughs) awesome. I love it. Real quick, talking about, uh, we already talked about Diamond Offshore. Can you guys kind of give some insight of what that application looks like or what you're doing for Diamond Offshore?
1: Yeah, sure. So Diamond has, uh, in collaboration with us, kind of specced out and launched a uh, uh, what they're calling the blockchain drilling service. And okay. what that basically does is it provides uh, a platform built on top of ours for an operator to get a view into their total spend. In quasi real time on that well, because the rig is kind of the center of where everything that's going into the well, whether it be a commodity or steel or people coming out to run tools, it's all it's all happening at the rig. So they're kind of a a, a nexus where they can capture that data. They've got the personnel on board reports. They've got HSC reports coming in. They've got the fuel tank sensors, so we can see how much uh, you know diesel was consumed and so on. So they're they're having us collect up all that data from the various systems and from the third parties and flow that through to an interface that the operators can then see so instead of waiting anywhere from let's say 3 to 45 days to get their invoice and find out what I spent on June 12th mm-hmm. I have an ability as we as you add additional vendors to get let's say within 3 to 4 hours now I know what my projected spend is. And then at the end of the month, I have a projected spend. I can do my reconciliation off of, as opposed to just, I never close in the month and I never close the quarter because everything's so far behind. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one part of it. And then there's a bunch of really interesting spinoffs, which I'm sure they're going to be announcing soon that are coming off of that, because if you're collecting that data, well, then there's a whole bunch of other things you can do with that. And so, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, they've been a great partner and uh, we're, we're rolling out on several ships this year and the goal is to be live on the entire fleet by q Q3 of, of 2019.
3: Awesome. So Data Gumbo, uh, one of the first movers in the space. There are some other applications like uh, BP and Hotels done some energy trading uh, mm-hmm. on the blockchain. Anybody else in the space that you, you guys know of that are uh, releasing applications out in the field?
1: So there's been a lot in trading. You mentioned that Mm -hmm. there's a lot of Ethereum based stuff in trading. There's some quarter based things going in trading Uh, right now on the maritime side. Obviously, there's the huge trade lens, uh, Maersk, uh, IBM, uh, JV. There's another. What's been done with that? Well, I, without inside knowledge, uh, <laughs> it, it it is interesting because they've got this hyperledger based thing that they've built and they've run. I think the last count was 154 million uh, container transactions through it, and uh, but it's primarily Maersk, and I think they have one additional regional shipper and IBM, and it looks like a pretty powerful tool. And I think the issue is uh, getting the other shippers to sign up to something that's already branded with your number one competitors' Mm -hmm. uh, thing. But it's it looks to be a very powerful tool. There's some other groups. Lloyd's is doing Lloyd's Register is doing something in shipping, and then in the sort of upstream midstream area, there's a lot of homegrown. We're doing things interior inside the uh, you know BP is is doing all kinds of projects, Ethereum based. uh, Okay. You know, we're doing some work uh, with a couple of other operators that I hope to have press release on oh, right. soon. Cool. Yeah, let, us, let uh, us know
3: when you do. Yeah,
1: but uh, yeah, I'd say the focus in oil and gas has been in the the actual shipping and the, and the trading and trade settlement side up to now, and we're trying to help lead the charge into uh, upstream for drilling and midstream for pipelines right now.
3: Okay, so what uh, what hyper focus niche do you guys think are the uh, lowest hanging fruits for blockchain? It seems like every corner I turn. It seems like there could be a blockchain application within oil and gas. Um, what are some of the areas that you guys think are going to kind of take off first? Obviously, like shipping.
0: Regardless of whether the, you guys are playing, against. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. yeah, yeah. The industry you, in general.
3: You know, shipping logistics is a no-brainer for all industries, not just oil and gas. But outside of that, what do you guys think are going to kind of be some of the first niches that are disrupted?
2: I think just automating payment terms. So smart contracts, just leveraging that to reduce DSO is going to be a very powerful one. I know mm-hmm. a lot of accountants are afraid of baby being able to capture the terms of joint interest billing on these respective platforms because a lot of these major oil companies do pre-audits before they actually do the real audit. And if you're reducing that internal audit cost, then that definitely impacts accounting as well.
1: Yeah. So I'd say those two for sure. And then, you know, we already talked about trade and trade settlement, no brainer, everybody's doing it. I Mm -hmm. think that's going to become the default very soon to do it on a blockchain of some sort. And then the other thing is uh, we do have a lot of incentive contracts floating around Mm -hmm. in the industry that are manually calculated and uh, humans are involved in saying, well, I know (laughs) you you met your tripping speed metric, but there was a dropped object last Thursday, so you get nothing. Uh, So I think that is, there's a, a, a huge opportunity there to to let the agree on the algorithm, and then let the algorithm decide whether you made your performance metrics or not.
3: Yeah, yeah, we got to get over that hump of being able to trust computers and code to uh, dictate, you know, what's right and what's wrong. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are afraid of doing that. So. I think we were talking on my LinkedIn the other day, had a pretty uh, hot, hot debate going in on my LinkedIn about a lot of, a lot of, of hate
0: messages. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I got a lot of hate I always get a lot of hate messages on my guys ever watched yeah. South Park back in the day that episode the guys are like they took our gerbs. Yeah, yeah. and Any, we were very upset about it. Anytime
3: I talk about new technology, uh, whether it's automation, machine learning, blockchain, like whatever industry I'm saying that it's gonna disrupt, I get people from that industry giving me hate messages saying that it's not
2: gonna do shit. <laughs> So, <laughs> right, because it's going to impact their jobs, yeah, right? exactly. I mean, <laughs> and, and I think we touched on it before about why has there been just this big schism or this big shift in the thought process around blockchain. So, yes, uh, the the rise of Bitcoin had a lot to do with it. But also, you have these baby boomers that are leaving. You have mm-hmm. younger, you know, pressure ideas that are coming in through these organizations. And they're open to new change And they understand that the way for their company to be competitive over time is to adopt new technologies, you look at Walmart, you look at Sears, you look at Kmart, you look at all of those companies that, well, Walmart's not so much a dinosaur because they got smart at the last minute after they saw that Amazon has mm-hmm. jumped up the way that they have. They've had, what, two or three times to buy Amazon? Yeah. And they passed on it yep. because they're like, okay, it's a book company. What, what is a book company going to do to me? Okay, now they're selling sneakers and CDs. What are they going to do to me? And now they're one of the largest companies in the world. And now so, Amazon's shipping Christmas trees. Exactly. Everything. <laughs> well,
1: can, can, I, can I provide a slightly different view? Uh, yeah. So, you know, with with the downturn we had, I think when I read Wall Street Journal, maybe, you know, like 150,000 of the jobs in Texas are just never going to come back. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're, we're starting at a lower standpoint now. And like any other automation, whether it be drilling rig automation or shipping automation or whatever it is, you know, this is something that can help automate clerical tasks so that the people who have the experience for the things that are not easily captured in algorithm can focus their organic intelligence on dealing with these sort of ad hoc problems that either the computer systems don't have enough data to deal with or don't you can't train a, a, an algorithm to do that. And so if you think of a driller sitting in his chair with his nine screens in front of him now, mm-hmm. to the extent that automation can let him let that run and focus on making sure jimmy doesn't walk in front of the iron roughneck yeah that's that's the 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 thing so it's not we don't we're not denigrating or we're not uh uh saying that this is going to replace humans it's going to allow humans to do what humans do best Mm -hmm. and it's going to let the computers do the boring stuff that just lulls humans to sleep yep so uh, that's kind of the way i've been looking at it yeah
3: and you know going back on uh on your point gerald talk about kind of a a shift in the workforce age. Mm -hmm. You know, we're seeing millennials start to take senior level positions within these EMPs. And this is something Jake and I talk about all the time is, you know, these people are used to having technology. They're used to having, you know, very simple, streamlined user interfaces with apps that, you know, integrate and talk with one another. That's just... How we were raised up. Exactly. So they come into the oil field and I've seen this firsthand from engineering interns that are out in the field and like, why the hell are we doing it like this? There isn't a software that, that does this. Right. And I, I think that's going to be a big driver moving mm-hmm. forward that eventually companies are going to start demanding that they have software and digital solutions for all these problems. So – Needless to say, I think you guys are in a good spot for the next five to 10 years. Um, Thank you. It'll be exciting to see see what y'all work on. Before we close this out, what's, uh, what's one thing that you're excited about? I'll le- let each of you answer um, in the next one to two years for Data Gumbo. What gets you going? What gets you excited every morning when you wake up? <laughs>
1: What I want to see in the next one to two years is multiple 10-year fully automated incentive contracts between national oil companies and the largest service companies in the world running on the data gumbo system.
2: There we go. I would say the same thing. And and look, my, my background is in working in principal investing, like private equity, and working with a startup in something that's so exciting, I literally don't sleep. Like, yep. it's so <laughs> exciting every day to interface with our potential customers and to go to these different events and to talk to VCs and you know I, I was the one that was doing the due diligence on some of these companies and being on the other side is a bit more stressful but it is fun and working alongside of William and Andrew and the rest of the team has just been an exciting ride so far. Look,
3: you gotta you gotta be some level of insane to uh, go yeah. through the startup I, I mean, did you hear <laughs> what he said? He's like, I never get any
0: sleep. I love it. <laughs> like, it's not for the faint of heart. Calm sleep on the floor. like I, yeah, I, I was, was just in, taking so a nap before you guys came <laughs> in. So I know all about it.
1: <laughs> guys,
0: so, as we close the show, where, where can people find you? I'm sure you guys are on LinkedIn, right?
1: Yeah, I'm just William Fox and uh, we're at datagumbo.com. Yep, Gerald awesome. at datagumbo.com.
0: Yep. So William Fox, Gerald
3: Smith, find them on LinkedIn, find them on datagumbo.com guys we look forward to seeing what you do in the future I'm sure we'll be talking to you sometime soon thank you so all much right, for thank having you me. Thank you guys thank you if
0: you guys like the show we forgot to ask on all the other episodes that we recorded so far please leave us a review preferably a five star but if you don't like it don't leave a review <laughs> um, so thanks for listening we'll catch you in the next episode